Good morning, Shelby Road. So glad that you are here with us for Shelby Road Online. Can't wait to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, imagine with me a family that is on a road trip, a long one. You got parents in the front, kids in the back, and no more than 15, 20 minutes down the road, you know that the parents are going to start to feel the question from the back seat. And if you've ever been in this situation, you already know what the question is. Are we there yet? And you know how annoying it can be to field that question 47,000 times in the first two hours of a road trip. Believe me, I know, not because I'm a parent uh, in that situation, but because I was a kid in that situation. And I can only imagine how annoyed my parents were. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that you and I are a lot more like the kids in the backseat than we want to admit. This is the third week of our series called The Waiting Room. So last week, what do we do when we're in a hurry and God isn't? Where God brings us into seasons of waiting. We are, we are waiting for something to begin, waiting for something to end, waiting for something to change. Whatever your wait is, undoubtedly you have asked God the biblical version of are we there yet? And it's two words. It's how long. How long, Lord, until the situation changes? How long until the healing comes, Lord? How long until the job changes how long until we get back to normal life how long how long how long and you are not alone in asking god that question it's one of the most frequently asked questions of god in the bible and he doesn't answer it doesn't answer it you see we ask god how long because we think that it's going to make us feel better or it's going to make it easier for us to obey him in the waiting room or to stay faithful to him and, and god knows better than this he knows that that's really not the case in fact more often than not the more information i have the less i tend to depend and trust him to depend on him and trust him and so he sends us into the waiting room with very little information and a long list of things we need to obey him in a huge call to obey it's so difficult to trust God when we're in a season of waiting. We don't have the information. And God knows this. This is not lost on him. And he's sensitive to this so much so that he has given us something very special to get us to the other side of the waiting room with growing faith and not dying faith. And what he has given us are his promises. So this leads us to our third exercise. First exercise in week one was decide that the weight is good. Second exercise last week, listen to God's warnings. Here's exercise number three. We need to embrace God's promises. We need to embrace God's promises. God's promises are incredibly rock solid, and that's how he expects us to treat them. Uh, the promises of God, it's something that God came up with. Promises are something God came up with to give us certainty in an otherwise uncertain life. He came up with promises to give us certainty in an otherwise uncertain life. Why does it work that way? Well, we're going to uncover this concept of embracing God's promises in Hebrews chapter 11. So would you turn to Hebrews 11 with me? At the beginning of Hebrews 11, we get this kind of introduction. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know Hebrews 11 is kind of a hall of faith. You know, a long list of people who have, were incredibly faithful to God in long seasons of waiting. And in this introduction, we get this. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. I'm going to read that last verse again. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Here's what this means. The basis of reality is what God says, not what I see. Okay? The foundation, the basis of the reality that I am in, okay? the, the, the matter that I can interact with, the ground that I'm standing on, the foundation of reality is what God says, not what I can see. Which means that if God has said it, if he has made a promise, he expects me to treat that as more rock solid, more sure, more of a firm foundation than the very ground that I'm standing on right now. Because the foundation of reality is what God says, not what I can see. And so he gave us promises. When you think about it, it's even better than information about my weight. How long is it going to be? No, it's better because they're words from him. And we learn that God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. He's incredibly reliable, incredibly faithful. So we need to embrace his promises. What does that look like? I've got three verbs for you today. We need to know them, we need to use them, and we need to envision them. We need to know them, we need to use them, and we need to envision them. So let's begin with the first one. We need to know them. Do you know the promises of God? Do you know what his promises are? I mean, really know them. Not that you can recall them kind of vaguely here and there, but do you know God's promises? Know them like you know your favorite song. Know them like you know your favorite movie and can quote it on a dime. Know them like you know that recipe that you can make without even ever having to look in the recipe book. Do you know the promises of God. You see, all of God's promises are God's word, but not everything in God's word is necessarily a promise. And so we need to, in the experiment of figuring out how we know God's promises, we need to start out with a couple of qualifiers. Okay, so number one, to claim a promise uh, as a promise from God, it must be found in the Bible. We, we have to find it here. Uh, it, is, it is not a promise if it's a feeling that I got from God, I'm not discounting that sometimes God does move us in our hearts, that's true. I'm not discounting that he gives us thoughts, sometimes he gives us a thought that we can't shake, okay? Just because I got a feeling or a thought maybe doesn't necessarily mean at all that it's a promise. If it's a promise, I can find it in the Bible, chapter and verse, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It must be placed in the context of eternity. I'm just going to give you an example on this one to help explain what I mean. This is the most famous promise in the Bible, I think. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we see this on mugs and on picture frames and on t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's great because it's a wonderful promise. But just remember that second qualifier. We need to be able to place it in the context of eternity because if we read Jeremiah 29, we understand that the first time that God said these words and made this promise to his people was to a group of Israelites who were about to begin a 70-year time period in exile. 
and life expectancy being much shorter then than it is today, most of these people who heard this promise the first time were going to die before exile even came to an end. Where was their future that God promised them? Well, sometimes there's a promise that we find in Scripture and it is simply too big for this life. So we need to place it in the context of eternity. And when we do, then we can see, oh, there's the hope and the future that God has for everyone that follows Him. Okay, this is more than just this life. Some promises we can claim right here and right now fully and fully realize them because they're kind of of a different nature. But those are the qualifiers as we move ahead. So as we look to know the promises of God in our seasons of waiting, let's do a little tour of scripture, okay? You and me today, uh, you're going to see them on the screen. You can look them up in the Bible if you'd like to. I would just love for you to take a note on what verses they are, again, chapter and verse, so that we can start to get to know the promises of God. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What an awesome promise this is. This is an example of one that we can claim right here and right now. You feel weak. You're tired today. You feel powerless today. Go to God because he's the one who increases the power of the weak and gives strength to the weary. That's huge. Here's another one. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This is about provision. You concerned about where the food's going to come from. You concerned about the things that you need. You concerned about the, the toilet paper or the whatever else we can get our hands on in the grocery store right now. You concerned about those things. Matthew six thirty three is your promise today. That one you can claim as today as well, right? This is what he's promised us. Romans 8, 28. If you're familiar with the Bible, this one's well known too. As, uh, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It means that there's not one thing that happens to you or to me that will go wasted or be meaningless because it all works out for our good. This one is one we need to place in the context of eternity. You see how this works? God's given us these promises and we need to know them. Let's continue on in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You need mercy and grace every day. And if you are a follower of Christ, you can approach God's throne right from wherever you are in prayer and receive those things just as you need them. That's a promise, right? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Have you sinned today? Confess that sin and God will forgive you. It's a promise. We need to know them. Know them like you know your favorite song. Know them like you know the recipe that you don't have to look back and see because you've got all the steps memorized, okay? Here's the bottom line. We memorize what is most important to us and what we see frequently. Bottom line. So if we don't know the promises of God like this, it's because they're not nearly important enough to us and we have not seen them as frequently as we need to see them. Change this today. We hop back to Hebrews chapter 11 and we see what effect this has. If we just know God's promises, what kind of confidence that fills us with, even when we're in a waiting room where we don't have all the information that we wish that we had. Jump to verse 8 in Hebrews 11. We see a story here about a guy named Abraham. He's in Genesis and God calls him out of his home to a new land 
doesn't know where he's going, doesn't know how to get there, doesn't even necessarily know what he's going to find when he gets there. But God has made him a promise. And the promise is that I'm going to take you and turn you into a huge nation. In fact, you're going to be the father of many nations. Your descendants will outnumber the sand on the seashore. That's the promise that God has made to him. But as far as where he's headed, God doesn't give him that detail. And it says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac his son and Jacob his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same, what's that word? Promise. God had made Abraham a promise and he didn't have the information and he was on a long journey. Don't know where we're going. Don't know how it's going to work out. Don't know anything about how long it's going to take. And he goes. We know the promises of God. Know them, know them, know them. God fills us with the confidence that we need to obey him even when we don't have all the information. We've got to know the promises of God. That's the first step in embracing God's promises. Here's the second one. We need to use them. We need to use the promises of God. Remember what I said? The promises of God that we find in the Bible, the promises that we find there, word for word, chapter, verse, those promises, we need to use them. God's word works. Okay, God's word works especially in the waiting room. When you're in the waiting room, no doubt you think about your time there. You think about the problem that you're facing. And many times our thought process begins with the problem that we're facing. And then we kind of, maybe we think about God after that. Maybe we plug in thoughts about God and his word after that. But a lot of time our thought process begins with the problem that we're facing. And the reason that we know that this happens is because so often, as we are in the waiting room, we experience overwhelming anxiety, overwhelming pain, overwhelming hopelessness. And that is a symptom of a thought process that begins with the problem and not with something else. It means that as I'm sitting in my waiting room, I'm thinking things like, I'm not getting any better physically and so I don't know what's going to happen now and then I start thinking things about God based on where I started my thought process from so God is absent he's not here with me uh, he has he has forgotten about me you see where this leads us to errant conclusions where we have our thought processes start like this is most of the time I can't sleep so I don't know where God is. Maybe he's not hearing my prayer. Maybe he just wants me to be tired all the time. Uh, my business is suffering, so uh, God must not want to bless me. Maybe I've offended him in some way, shape, or form. Um, I got laid off, so, you know, man, I, I don't know what God is doing. Maybe he's not aware of what's happening. Or, you know, these are the kinds of conclusions that we can come to when we begin our thought processes with the problem, when God intends for us to begin them with his promises. That's how we use the promises of God. That's how we put them to work. We insert his promises in our line of reasoning, in our line of thinking, and preferably at the beginning. Abraham, in his long journey, faced numerous problems, and we see an example of one of the problems he faced in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, here's the problem, he offered Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises, embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. Here's the problem that Abraham is facing. God made me a promise that through Isaac, there would be many descendants, more so than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. But he's also now given me a command to kill Isaac. Awfully difficult for Isaac to be the one through whom all the descendants come if he is dead. Here's the problem before Abraham. And he could have started his thought process with the problem before him. God wants me to kill my son. So, well, then maybe God's not the good God that I thought he was. Maybe the promise that he made me, he's changing his mind. You know, uh, and you could reach all kinds of crazy conclusions by starting your thought process with the problem as opposed to the promise. But watch what happens when you start it with the promise. Okay, God made me a promise that my descendants would come through Isaac. God's word is the foundation of all reality, more so than what I even see. So that's not going to change. But he also wants me to kill him. So then, look at his conclusion. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. God stopped him. In the moment, Abraham reasons this out, grabs for the knife, rears back, and God stops him in the moment and says, you've passed the test. Now, how does he get there? He reasoned this out. The only possible conclusion for Abraham was resurrection. This was an insane thought, by the way. No one thought like this at this time. Resurrection, bodily resurrection, was not even close to a category of thinking for someone in the ancient Near East at this time. So literally, Abraham had to invent the reality of resurrection in his mind in order to come to the confident conclusion that he needed to come to and obey God. This is what he came to. Why? Because it was unfathomable to him that God would break his promise. God doesn't break promises. So therefore, if that's going to be the reality and he's also commanded me to kill him, then he must be planning to bring him back from the dead. Something I've never even heard of being done ever in the history of the world. That's the conclusion I'm going to come to because I'm starting with the promises. Watch what happens. We take our other lines of thinking and we do this. God promised me. He made me a promise in Matthew 6.33 that he would provide for everything that I need. So the fact that my business is suffering right now must mean that I don't need to have a successful business in order for God to provide everything that I need for my family. Do you see how it changes the line of thinking when we use the promises of God? Okay. Uh, God made me a promise in Isaiah 40 that he would, he would give strength when I'm weak. So the fact that I can't sleep right now, I'm so exhausted by life, must mean that he has got another avenue of strength to deliver to me other than just getting the physical rest that I need. What about this? God made me a promise in Romans 8.28 that everything would work out for my good. So the fact that I'm not getting any physically better right now, even though I've asked and I've asked and I've asked, must mean that God has a different definition of better for me and a good that I can't even envision yet because it's unfathomable that God would break his promise. If you start with God made me a promise, your thought processes will come to better and more confident conclusions and you'll be able to obey God with confident steps moving forward. Listen, use the promises 
of God. Use them in your line of thinking, in your reasoning. Reason it out in your waiting room by beginning with a promise that you have found in your copy of his word. We got to know the promises of God to embrace them. We need to use them in our thinking. And here's the thing that I'll end with today. We need to envision them. We need to envision the promises of God. This concept right here is when I was taught this concept, it transformed my prayer life and my faith life in one fell swoop. So envision them. What do we mean here? Well, when we were kids, we utilized our imagination in a variety of ways. When I was a kid, I know I did this. I went out into the woods. It was nothing for me to build some kind of rickety structure and to imagine that it was a warship of some kind. Or let's be real, I'm a nerd, so a starship of some kind, right? Uh, or to pick up the stick and imagine that it was a lightsaber. It was nothing for me to get to that place in my mind, to make that jump uh, with the eyes in my mind, right? It was not hard for me to do that. But as I've gotten older, I've left that behind a bit. We need to recapture imagination as adults because getting to the other side of the waiting room, this will be huge. Imagine, envision the promises of God that you can't see right now. Hebrews 11 verse 13 is the key verse that transformed my walk with God when I was taught this concept. All these people, everybody in the hall of faith, faithful to God in their seasons of waiting, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Literally that Greek phrase means they died in their faith. They did not receive the things promised. Hold on. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Okay? Saw them and welcomed them from a distance is a Greek phrase that means literally to perceive and see with their minds. Here's the reality. When you are looking at a promise that you can't see yet because it's not fulfilled in this life, man, God works all things together for good. I don't know how that can possibly be true. Okay, you need to close your eyes, stop seeing with those eyes, and start looking with the eyes of faith. Envision the promise that God made to you because God made you a promise. Listen, when I am in a difficult spot and a long season of waiting, I'll tell you which verse I pull out. I pull this one. John 14, 2. My father's house, is Jesus speaking, has many rooms. If that were not true, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When there are so many things in my field of vision that are troublesome to me and don't look like this is what God has in store for me, I close my eyes and start looking with the eyes of faith and imagine the reality of this promise. God's made me a promise that he's preparing a house for me, a place for me. What's it like there? What are the details of that place? What's the lawn like, right? What's the structure like? What is my life like there? It's important to take time to imagine and envision these things. It's exactly what the people in the hall of faith did. And I wonder what exactly Abraham would have envisioned because he knew this truth. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And how many times Abraham's on this journey, how many times he is... Wondering how long it's going to be, and he has got to close his eyes. And I wonder when he did this. Maybe at night when he's going to sleep in his tent, he closes his eyes and he envisions the promise of God, the land. 
He envisions his descendants on the land. He envisions all of these things. That's exactly what God's calling us to do with his promises. And that's how we fully embrace them. Okay? We know them. We use them. And we envision them. Embrace the promises of God in your season of waiting. Make these practices for you every single day. It will transform your faith and transform how your faith grows in your season of waiting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you have given to us. The promises that are more sure than anything we can see. So let us depend on them, know them through and through, use them in our thinking, envision them in our imagination. Help us do these things, Lord, and build us, build strength within us to confidently obey you even when we don't have all the information in the time that we wait on you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.